0: just past seven o'clock and what do you know it's time for iron sports this is the true oldies channel i'm mike balsamo and ira what a weekend but a little bit bittersweet because going forward we got a lot less sports than we have i mean obviously everything ended but we've been looking forward to the masters it was amazing but now all we really have is football
1: and that's not a bad thing but it's a little bit uh, a little bit um disappointing i would say No but i'm still after this weekend that masters is perfect I I was so pumped for Dustin Johnson, just so proud of him to win this tournament, and it was just exciting, I think, to have the Masters in November just laid out perfectly, and look, God, we have so much football. They are playing football. You know, I talked about how there's a couple nights of the week. The way they're doing with football now at college, they're playing, they played on Sunday. Cal and UCLA, their game was canceled against other teams on Saturday, Mm -hmm. so they just played the game. (laughs) They just picked other people and played. I love how these games, these schedules, oh, it's made five years in advance. Now they're just two days before. They're like, hey, why don't you play? Let's go do this. So I'm excited. We got we got a couple months good football and but what a masters
0: it really was a great masters and uh, we'll talk about that a lot but um ira one of the things that was great was that so many of the big names were in contention i mean even though uh, dustin johnson was starting to pull away it was great you know the top 15 guys are all massive golfers and we got to see the best of the best uh, on display we got to
1: see the best of the best, and I—I I don't think I've ever predicted something that I was more proud of my. Pred- like it almost like as we had Gary Stevens talk about how uh, the Breeders' Cup was going to go. Yeah. I really felt like. The favorite de DeChambeau was not ready for this tournament. I think the gaining the seventy pounds, the the muscle. The, I mean, he said on the, his interview, he goes, his protein shake. no oh, no, protein. He was stomach was bothering him. And then someone said, well, if you're drinking seven protein shakes a day, <laughs> if you drink seven glasses of water a day, your stomach might hurt. So the point is, is that I just didn't think he was ready for a tournament where the second shot is so crucial. And I just felt it would came down between Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, and Dustin Thomas, and then Rory, and you have all those great golfers and Brooks and Tigers in the mix. And I thought Justin was just playing better golf than anybody else. And he pulled away. And then I think what was so exciting about this tournament, and we're going to break this down. I I love breaking down golf. Is that in that final round, the key thing was that Justin Thomas and John Rahm were too far back. The yes. big names, the Brookses, the Rorys, were just two, eight, seven strokes back. And the Cameron Smiths and the Sun J.M.s, who are great, good players. You was also J.M. for the Honda. They were just, they were not the, the players that were going to put the pressure on Dustin Johnson. And that was like, and I think he played more relaxed that way, knowing that there was no Justin Thomas and John Rahm that are right back. You know, it was, it was different. And I think that helped him relax and then win by five strokes. Because if he just woke up and say... Dustin Johnson won by five strokes. You didn't realize that that, that lead was down to one on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And it, he, he had a four stroke lead going in there. But I think it helped. I think, I mean, he won this tournament. First of all, Bryson lost the tournament on Thursday. Rory lost the tournament on Thursday and Friday, or Thursday, really. He couldn't get couldn't come back from it. And I think that he won the tournament. I think that he won the tournament uh, Dustin did on Saturday in terms of getting that lead and making that difference between Ron. Because at one point on Saturday, nine golfers were tied. Yeah. Nine, nine golfers were tied at nine under, and suddenly we're looking at a tournament on Sunday where he's up by five strokes with the largest margin since Tiger won in '97.
0: He, he definitely, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly with, with that. That there was just nobody that was going to catch him. He's playing so good that it was, it was mistake free, and you, you're not going to catch a guy like that. That's a matter if you're Rory McIlroy or Brooks. Once you let him get um, up so far, that this is what's just going to happen. Um, so let's talk about it. Dustin Johnson is your 2020 Masters champion, won in impressive fashion.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just a little bit about Dustin. You know, he's from Columbia. South Carolina. He won the 2016 U.S. Open in Oakmont. He's had six World Golf Championship victories. He's 13 seasons on the tour. He's won a tournament every year. Only Tiger and Jack, Tiger at 14, Jack at 17, can even match that. He's been number one in the world for 100 weeks in total time. Um, his 24 victories on the tour, which is the most anybody currently on the tour except Tiger and in uh, Phil. Phil is 44 and Tiger is 82. I mean, he's been in the top 10 of Masters, U.S. Open, PGA Championship, I was there at the Genesis in 2017, similar to this. He won by five strokes, just run away. And we've mm-hmm. talked about this on so some of these tournaments where he gets this lead, he feels good, he just pulls away there. And this year he won the Travis in June. In August, remember, just in August, he won the Northern Trust, which was one of the major, you know, playoff tournaments, mm-hmm. 11 strokes. He was So he played all these game guys and won by 11 And the Tour Championships. But the one thing you remember about Justin, is the U.S. Open, and that's why he was crying after he won, is that 2010, he had a three-shot lead at the U.S. Open going to the final round, shot an 82 and Crazy. lost. 2010, PJ Championship, Whistling strikes had a one-shot lead going to the final hole, and then he bogeyed the hole. It was like he bo- he thought he bogeyed, but remember, he, he uh, grounded his club, and he ended up losing it. He didn't even get in a playoff on that the situation. Martin Kymer won. Um, 2014, he took a lead from golf for almost a whole year. In 2015, at Chambers Bay, he was tied for the lead, and on an 18, putting for an eagle to win, you know, Bertie was going to win. He was going to tie, and they got a bogey and lost to Spieth. And then 2018 in Shinnecock, he had a four-shot lead going into the third round and a tied for the lead in the seven in the in the fourth round. But he shot a 77, losing to Brooks. And 2019 he was second to uh, Tiger. And 2020, this past year in the PGA Championship, he was one up going to the final round, but Colin Morikawa yeah. passed him. He shot a 68. Morikawa 66. So. When you see him cry, you're like, look, this is the best golfer in the world. And he's had a lot of disappointment. A lot of it is his own. But it's someone who's, I think, learned. You talk about a great, someone who's great that's learned from their mistakes. And he's still 36 years old. So I think that's what, that's the emotion. And he grew up an hour away from Augusta. This was his dream tournament. We've talked about this on the show before. I don't think that when we talk about other sports, what the majors are, the Masters t- is just at another level. There are four majors. I think there's the Masters is at their own level, a major. And you can ask people would rather win two other three. I think if you win a Masters, that is it. And I think these people like Patrick Reed, who grew up around Augusta, uh, you know, American golfers that grew up. It is the tournament that they dream about winning, and that's why he is. The emotion just flowed from him after that victory. Fans or no fans,
0: and no, absolutely. You, it, it's the Masters is number one, and everyone's one A and one B after that. Everyone wants have a master's win on their resume so let's go to thursday ira and this was uh you know after one day it was really anyone's tournament
1: right i mean paul casey it was interesting shows that last year he shot an 81 <laughs> the first <laughs> and he shot nine over the first round this year he was at seven under shot a 65 now the rain started on thursday so it did mess them up but you gotta give them credit for actually catching up on saturday i was shocked so they had to play because they were starting at 7 30s and then they were ending at 4 30 or 5 o'clock and because of the rain on thursday they actually thursday you know thursday and friday were combined friday and saturday were combined but Sunday, we're able to get a whole uh, tournament in, and uh, Dustin had shot a seven under, so he was tied for lead. Remember, Dustin was tied for the lead or taking the lead the entire tournament, so he mm-hmm. wired a wire. Justin Thomas was six under. How about Bernard Langer? He's sixty three <laughs> years old. He won the tournament in nineteen eighty five. I mean, 95, I'm in high school. I'm in high school. And he he, he shot a 68, four under. Larry Mize, 62 years old. This is so funny. He shot a 70 so that he was 240 yards off the tee. Bryson was 340 yards off the tee. They both shot a 70. So the first time, that any two players over 60 shot a 60 in the majors. Um, Talk about how, how putting is important. Is that Kevin Na hit 18 out of 18 greens in regulation, but he shot a plus one. So if you're just two putting and three putting. You're going to do terrible. But Bryson, that was the story. And at 10, you know, he had this problem on 11 where he hit a provisional where they couldn't find the ball, but they found it. But 13, I think the tournament just ended for him on 13. Oh, par yeah. 5, because he goes to the hole. We were listening to Andrew Catalong, who was on, on the CBS Plus, where you could hit him with Michelle Wee, and they were absolutely phenomenal. And it's like, he's going to hit it on the green. Uh, he's just going to just, I mean, it's going to be the greatest 500-yard tee shot. <laughs> this is the greatest thing. He hits it in the woods, the trees, chips misses this, everything out, double bogey. And then after that, he had five birdies, another bogey, but it was shot at 70. But it was like suddenly the luster of him just struggling. Like you thought he was just going to go through and win this so easily. I think 13 just punctured that entire bobble. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and Rom started out slow. He had two bogeys on the first two holes, and then he went and then had tons of birdies and whatever to finish at four under. And Tiger... First time ever in the Masters, he had no bogey on the first on the for the first day. He had birdies on par fives thirteen and fifteen, um, and he shot a sixty eight. Um, it was, you know, it was the, 20, the first time in 22 Masters that he opened below a 70. And uh, four time, four to five times he won the Masters of 70. So Tiger was sitting there, you know, at uh, four under. He was only three we shots off the lead. <laughs> I thought he played. I watched every single time. He, he looked great. I mean, he, he was, seemed to be, you know, he got the birdie on one and then he came back. And then it was weird because they would come back on Friday and play. But, uh, you know, it parsed the rest of the way. I thought he played well. But uh, so I thought, you know, going in that, I thought he played great. Now, Rory. But Rory was the one who just I mean shot terrible he shot a 75 was a complete disaster played nine holes and uh, and he came back so he had played nine holes it was sort of like a par came back and had four bogeys in the back nine hitting balls in the water and that he just lost the tournament there on Thursday
0: what do you think about Phil
1: and his first master since turning 50 and he shot a 69 so Phil ended up I mean Phil was in it, Tiger was in it. I mean, I was like, you just could get so excited for this tournament because you're like, Phil's in this, Tiger's in this, and you can see Bernard Langer. And what you saw when that Bryson was struggling, and we saw Langer doing well, you're like, intelligence matters in this tournament. Oh, yeah. And that... That this is going to be that you can you could see that Phil and Tiger when I saw the older golfers like Larry Mize and Bernard Langer doing I'm like okay no, who knows this tournament better than Tiger and Phil they're going to be in this because they have you know they're younger they're 20 years younger than these guys are <laughs> so you expect that they're going to use their intelligence to play well
0: 7-Eleven Iron Sports True Oldies Channel discussing uh, Dustin Johnson's 2020 Masters win in what was just a phenomenal uh, four days of golf so I. I was texting you, Iran. I'm like, I don't think they're going to be able to get this in. I think we'll see some masters on Monday, but they did a really great job of getting everything done on that uh, on that hybrid Friday Saturday.
1: The Friday Saturday was because I think what was good was that you did not want. The Friday, Saturday to the second, you didn't want the second round. You wanted them to finish the second round and then and third. You want to do second and third. So it was like they were able to finish so that for Sunday they'd be, you mm-hmm. know, they'd be finished it. But you know how I love talking about the cut lines of tournaments? And and the Masters has the weirdest cut line. It's the top fifty, only 90 players in the in the yeah. tournament, but it's top fifty plus ties. So it used to have the rule that if you're within 10, but they didn't want like everybody because they were nervous <laughs> with timing, So it was top 50 plus ties. And I don't think I've ever seen a tournament where it came down there on that was like on Saturday. morning, it was just so (laughs) exciting because it's like eight or nine o'clock because 10 players were sitting on that cut line. Speeth who's a 2015 winner, Charles Schwartzer, the 2011 winner, Zach Johnson, 2007 winner, Finau, Bryson DeChambeau, Morikawa, Shane Lowry, like you had all these big name golfers just sitting there in the cut line, and it kept going up because if you like, if you because there was 50 in ties, so like if Mike Weir would have, uh, you know, if Mike Weir takes it to one under, if one other person, Spieth kept having a chance to take yeah. it to one under. If Spieth takes it to one under, then everyone everyone else is gone. And Cabrera Bello had a par like on this one hit. If he would have made the one shot it was like a little chip in then he would have like eliminated 10 other golfers from the <laughs> tournament. So they're saying there you heard the evocation from the clubhouse so I thought that was great. And the, some of the big names that didn't miss the cut. Woodland uh, 2019 winner. Matthew Wolf, who we talked about. I one thought of it was going to be great. You know, he had 4th in the PGA Championship, 2nd in the US Open and he just did not. He shot a 77 for a second round and Molinari who is really not surprising because I think losing to Tiger last year just <laughs> took him out. I, like, he's never been the same golfer since then. And Jason Day, former number one, uh, sought a 78 on the second round and, and wasn't able to do it. So it was ever. But, you know, the key thing was that coming into this uh, in, coming into this thing, that it, there was it was the first time ever at the end of the first round, at the second round, that three golfers, the three top three in the world were tied after two rounds.
0: It, it was really impressive to watch. And, and this is what when I started getting really excited, seeing this uh, pay, you know, start, starting to shape up. How about Abraham? Answer too. And this is a guy. He was like a sneaky dark horse pick for this, and he looked really good for a, you know two and a half, three rounds.
1: Yeah, Answer played great for Argentina, and that's where one want to say some of these uh, are Mexico. I'm sorry, Mexico. Mexico. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Um, and uh, but it was like one of those in the second round. Dustin Johnson shot a not was uh, shot a 70. He had Birdies on 11, 12, and 13 to start, but bogeys on 14 and 15 and just pards the rest of the way. But he was able to stay in the tournament. Thomas had this roller coaster round in the, the second round. Uh he was on like one, he was on the woods, he had out double bogeys, but you know, he he finished with the, at the 69, 9 under, and Rom was at 9 under. So you have the one, two, three. You have you talk about Answer at 9 under, Smith at 9 under, Sunjay M, who we saw at the Honda Classic at 8 under. He played really well. Patrick Reed was at seven, seven under, Fleetwood is at 7 under and under and then Phil was at five under and Tiger was at five under and that was like you know Tiger started at four under and I thought this is where again I was nervous that he was like sometimes Tiger tends to be very conservative in these big majors, and then and I saw the scoring was much better, so I didn't. I would, but I felt like even after this, he was still sort of in the mix. He did, didn't let the tournament get away. Um, he was uh, got a birdie on two, and then on his first bogey on three, which was bad, and then a bogey on seven. But then he had uh, two more birdies the rest of the way, and was able to play well, play smart. And so you know he started the day, you know he ended the day just like four four back from the lead. So we're not, so we're still in a position. Uh, Uh, Bryson had a disaster. I mean, Bryson had a triple bogey, five bogeys. I mean, talk about this. There's 18 holes on the golf course. He only had four pars. He had a triple bogey, five bogeys, and seven birdies. Crazy. And uh, on three, he had a drive, but he couldn't even find the ball. They had 100 people looking. He then said, I need more time. He was screaming that he wants more time to look for the ball. Again, he brought then rules officials, everything out. I mean, it's always a disaster for him. He ended up triple bogeying the hole. And uh you know, just that's where he just barely made the cut. You know, he, he felt when he finished the round at even, though the cut line was at one under, that he thought he missed the cut.
0: And, you know, it's interesting how that played out. You know, you're back and forth like this might happen. So let's go to uh, the third round um, on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I mean, remember, there was now like a five way tie going into this round. And in the middle of the third round, first of all, Phil started it was a total disaster. Um, he couldn't putt, he averaged two putts around, he shot a 79. So Phil just immediately got himself out of the tournament. Um, Tiger started at 5 under, but he just this is the this is the round he Now some people say because he had to play the two holes compressed. I don't know, I just he had seven straight pars and he had two bogeys, two birdies, shot a 72, but he just stayed at 5 under. The problem was that everybody else was going low mm-hmm. and he wasn't. If you look at his round at 72, it wasn't people say, "Oh my god, Tiger had a terrible tournament." You know, Justin Brown, everybody else third round didn't do anything except for Cameron Smith and Sun M and Dustin Johnson, everyone else. So 72, it's just that Tiger was just a little too far back at that point. So at one point, it was a nine-way tie, nine ways at, at nine under. And DJ, he eagled a second hole, birdies at three, four, and seven. And then at 14, he had another, then he was at 14 under, 13, he was a birdie. And then... On 15, he was behind the trees, worked around, and he was able to go over trees and water, and then he made a birdie on that hole. So the last 30 straight holes, he had no, he had uh, no bogey. Flawless. Flawless. It was just unbelievable. to finish. and then the rest of the field, you know, the back nine destroyed JT and Rom. JT was 12 under after 10 with three birdies, but then he did three bogeys, and then and then in par five 15, he was in the middle. Do you remember that? He was in the middle of the fairway. Mm -hmm. He was set for an eagle on this hole on the par five. He hits into the water over over the hole. He ends up bogeying the hole to shoot to 71. And Rom couldn't keep up with DJ either. He had horrendous double bogey on par five eight, and then he got another bogey and he ended up shooting a seventy-two. So when you're when you're done with this round, DJ's at 16 under, and then at 12 under is Cameron Smith and Sanjay M and Answer and Dylan Fratelli was 11 under. But Cameron Smith, you know, he's Won the Sony Open, uh, was 2018 fifth in the Masters, but nothing major, you know, not not one of the big names. Son J.M., 22 years old, we saw him for the Honda Classic, but again, this his first Masters he's ever been in. And then answer, this is, uh, you know, his second, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is, uh, you, know, this is uh, you know, a big thing for him to be in in terms of going through. And, uh, but it just, and Dylan he was 30 years old from South Africa, and he's only made three out of nine cuts in the majors. But, D- dj's now at 16 under jt's at nine under roms at nine under reed is at nine under and uh Koepka started you know playing well but Kepka and rory are at eight under so they're two they're eight back like you're like they're you know what's their chances only if dustin johnson completely falls apart and, and that's what you know that's exactly how i was looking at it like this either has to be the wheels come off
0: or dustin johnson should be able to cruise to this and of course we, we know we, we know what happened but let's go to sunday and you know Tiger Woods is going to be remembered for a lot of things in his career, so many iconic moments. He's going to have another iconic moment on his resume, but not in a good way, something we really don't see from Tiger.
1: Well, he was on, you know, he was shooting, he was he was playing well, like on Sunday, so he was playing well at that point, so he comes to 12. And 12, remember, 12 was the, the place last year where Molinari hits in the water, and everyone else was hitting in the water, where the whole tournament turned at to the par mm-hmm. 3, And he hit the ball in the water once, then he hit it again, then he hit it into the sand trap, and then he hit it again. He ended up shooting a a 10 on a par 3. Plus 7. Plus (laughs) 7. And then the crazy thing is all my friends are like saying, oh, he's got to walk off the course. He's got to retire. It's over. It's this and that. He ended up. Birdieing 13, 15, 16, 17, and 18. So, how many other golfers can shoot a 10 and come back on the next holes and birdie fi- uh, a five out of the next six holes? Just amazing. And it shows to me that next year, I know the Masters, you know, certainly the Masters five months away. But everyone's saying Tiger no shot. If you looked how Tiger played this tournament, and I think I think that he played. I mean, he he knows how to play those final holes. And if he was in that final group with Dustin Johnson, could you imagine? Like he's a master at these last. If you're if the best holes you can play on earth. Are the last seven holes of the Masters, you're gonna win some more tournaments. So to think that Tiger doesn't have a chance at the Masters, you're crazy. Just on one hole that was nuts. He said he did read the win wrong, he was upset about it. He, <laughs> and he he was funny about it. He's like, I couldn't call timeout, I couldn't freak another, <laughs> I couldn't get a substitute to hit it. You know, he was joking around. Mm-hmm. And I thought his attitude was great. But I mean, certainly, you know, he I thought the Tiger for the tournament. I think people are just misreading this completely wrong about Tiger Woods. I mean, I just, it just, he shot, he ended up shooting a minus one for the tournament. You know, he shot a 70, uh, 76 on Sunday. Without that, though, you know, he's, he's shooting a 69 on Sunday. So he's, he's an he's a eight under. and yeah, he He's probably, been eight a, under. he's been like, you know, top 10 for the tournament. So I just think that was, whatever, ridiculous.
0: <laughs> it was a little ridiculous. 720, I run Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So what's going on with the uh, top of the leaderboard here?
1: Well, Sunday... I said, this is it. You're just not having, like, what is going to happen? Is DJ going to fall apart? and Or is he just going to cruise through? Is going to be like this 11-under where, you know, in the Northern Trust, I yeah. kept saying it's going to be close, and then it just was like nothing. But at, uh, at one, he parted, and then on two, you could just see he just, he, he had an awful third shot into the sand, but he chipped out and just made a par. So he's at 16, but Smith and him birdied to make it 13-under. Then on the third hole, Smith birdied to make it 14, but so did DJ. He was at 70. So it was a three-stroke lead. You know, everything's cruising along. Everything's great. And then you saw that Rory had two birdies to get to 10 under. You're like, okay, well, DJ totally classes. Can Rory just get into this mix? And then Answer was just birding. You know, Answer was the one that just couldn't stand up. I mean, got to give Cameron Smith and TJM credit. They stayed in it until the end. And then on the fourth, DJ misses the easy par putt for a bogey. And that was like, that's when I thought. Yeah, so he dropped go. to 16. <laughs> M and Smith, they were still at 14. But on five, DJ had a bad tee shot in the sand. And, you know, he had hit all the fairways at four. Now he's missing all the fairways. Then he missed another par, five, a par putt. So now he's a bogey at 15. And M is at 14 under. Smith bogeyed at 13. So now he's a one-stroke lead. And Rory's at 10, Kepka's at nine, Rahm's at nine, Thomas at nine. You're like, this is gonna be crazy. What's gonna happen? But on six, he had an amazing. you know, It's a par three, but that tee shot he hit. That I mean, I know it's early in the tournament, but it was like the perfect tee shot. I think that just saved the entire round. Like I think it'll go back to six. Like Tiger twelve this time. This was six. He saved. He two. You know, it was amazing. He comes back. He birdies at the same time. Um, in misses easy putt. He bogeys. So suddenly now it's back to a three stroke lead. Nancer bogeys and falls apart. But that was like at six. It was it was already to one. And then in seven. You know, he had a, he had another amazing save at seven to, to able to par. Smith made it a, a two-shot lead, but then he got, then at eight, he birdied, made it at seven, so he's at 17 uh, after eight, up still up three shots, and then Rory started bogeying some holes. You're like, is Rory going to shoot like a 61? Like, it was so fun to watch because you're like thinking what's going to happen with Smith, him, and, and, and is someone else going to come up? And then on nine, I thought there was one point where I thought it was crazy because if Cameron Smith hit in the trees for a second shot, he just made this crazy shot off a bridge and everything back and forth, <laughs> and, he, and he birdied that, so he shot a 33 for his front nine, and DJ just missed a birdie, um, so he, but he still stayed at seventeen. So he's still cruising along with a 3 show lead, and then. Uh and then five, what was what changed it was, like, on 13, uh, you know, what, what he was doing was on the par five, he just started laying up. You know, it was, like, being smart, not being stupid. He has the 3 surely He makes a birdie. He goes to 18. They're back at 14. So now it's a four-stroke lead. And then, uh, you know, Rory hit the, the ball in the water in 14. But then on 15, again on a par five, he laid up, hits it within five feet, another birdie to take him to 20. So the smart move, like, you're thinking if this was Phil Mickelson, if this was Dustin Johnson 10 years ago, he'd be trying to show off and, brat, you Know, oh, how, yeah. It, so whatever. But just so he, and he just cruised. And then 16, 17, 18, he parred the, the holes. So did him and Smith and, 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 and with staying ahead. But, you know, it was interesting on his tee shot in 18, when he knew he had that big lead, he just bombed like his biggest drive <laughs> today. The but then I thought it was funny. After Torminis, he asked, he said he asked his brother, he goes, Where am I? I know I'm," And he goes, Well, I didn't. He goes, I wasn't paying attention to how far ahead. And I just don't believe it. I think he had to know where you he was. You have to. Because he was playing too conservatively for someone, because he knows he could eagle. Like, that's the difference between him and Bryce. Bryson put on all this weight, the strength, the this, the that. But Dustin Johnson has always been the long, one of the longest drivers. Yeah. He's just in his own game. He plays the way. Like they're asking Justin Thomas, they go, "Are you going to add bulk to your frame?" And he goes, "Like, look, this is the frame I've been given. I feel comfortable <laughs> playing with this. All hell, you know. I think I've, you know, I won majors with this frame. I don't really need like I, I'm comfortable with the shots I'm playing. So I think Dustin had the length, but also he had all the other strokes. So you know, he ended up winning at um, Jordan Spieth, Zach Johnson, and Justin Thomas met him after he won. I thought that was nice. Yeah, was and then cool. it was just, just the whole Butler Cabin thing. Everything else was cool and the emotion from winning it. But I just liked, I felt like he, that's on six, that shot on six, when he was able to take that one stroke, one shot lead to three, I think it's sort of, that was the distance that he needed. And I think I said he won this on Saturday because if that was a John Rahm a Justin Thomas who could throw up Eagles anytime they want, I think that's where the difference was, is that he was had the distance and he knew the players that were catching him weren't going to pull up these crazy shots.
0: It was a great tournament and congratulations to Dustin Johnson, um, just masterful work. And like you said, he, yeah, he, he did everything he could to keep himself comfortable. He didn't look stressed ever. And, and that's a good thing. And it's probably what you need to win these tournaments
1: and 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 winning and knowing when to make the move on Saturday and making those birdies and getting that distance I think that was crucial to him and and that that was and I think that if you're Justin Thomas and you're John Rahm, you're like you cannot let someone like if that was Sunjay Im or Cameron Smith getting a lead that's okay they're probably going to come back the pressures yeah. of to the tournament but when you let when you're start when you're in this type of um, a tournament and you let this one of the superstars of the sport get that lead they're not coming back to you and it's too far to make it up and that's what happened and that's what you know I am think of john rahm and justin thomas who came in playing great are kicking themselves and i think rory is kicking himself too because he played three rounds of great golf coming in there but i think they're all saying you know we just let it get away and dustin did everything he could the first two days his worst round was a 70 which was on the second round he wasn't a 75 he didn't let the rounds get away with him when he played poorly he you know put the pedal to the metal on saturday and then he cruised on sunday
0: did you happen to hear about sung J M? he's kind of a strange character he's made over four million dollars on the tour doesn't have a house here in, in America. He stays at hotels the entire time. <laughs> he's he in America plays, with he, his
1: parents. He plays every week. He yeah. likes to play in tournaments, and I think that was. But it was we saw him in the Honda in terms of how well he played. And for a young uh,
0: kid, he's a, remarkable.
1: And he and he and he, and he drives so straight, and that's I think the key. And that's again, I just. The whole Bryson thing, we talked about it, and, and I just, I think more people should have said, I just don't think it's going to work. And, I, you know, it's, it's just a mess all over the place. And now, you know, Dustin's the favorite for the Masters in five months coming from now. But I'll tell you this. I like, if you're going to bet, look what Brooks odds. Brooks Kepka came into this tournament. Not really like, you know, he was a, he was injured, just recovering from everything. And he still finished in seventh. He was at 10. He, so he was right in the mix for probably playing at 70, 60, 70%. Yep. And that just shows to me there is, he can play these majors better than almost than anyone else. And I just think that if Brooks is going to be 100% healthy for the next Masters, I'm betting it, I mean, it's going to be him and John, Dustin and Tiger are the three I, I predict would be in the final groups.
0: 727, it's Ira on Sports on the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's get into football. We had a a great Sunday slate of games that kind of got overshadowed by the Masters. It's not that that's a bad thing. Um, But let's talk about tonight first. Monday night football, division matchup in the NFC North. We're going to see the Bears take on the Vikings. I don't know what to think of this one. I mean, I would never bet on the Bears in this situation. But it's a division matchup, and we've seen how the NFC North plays each other. Minnesota is going to be giving them three points. I like
1: Minnesota, but I think this could be closer than people think. Well, Minnesota, we've never seen a three and five team going against a five and four team and being favored. And being favored in the it, game. In their house. Right. But <laughs> Bears have lost three straight. Minnesota beat Green Bay and Detroit. And uh, I really like, I mean, look, you're going to watch this game. Look at Dalvin Cook. I mean, you're going to see from Florida State, he had 163 yards, 206 yards, two of the best. Uh, games in a row in terms of rushing we've seen in a long time Derek Henry since then um, Bears have been giving up a lot of rushing yards You know, a little different than last year's so the defense is a little weak on the run um, but look I think Minnesota is going to win the funny thing though is Kirk Cousins their quarterback he's 0 for 9 on Monday night <laughs> and, so bad in prime and 7 time. for 16 in prime time so I'm excited I think it'll be a very exciting game and I want to it's going to be I think it'll be one of the. I'm, I'm intrigued this is a game where everyone wrote Minnesota, I love the commentators Minnesota's a no chance they should play for the draft pick they're 3-5 and five. like in a short season like this how everything's crazy with COVID and stuff. Like, you're never out of it. It's like the, the Patriots last night. Like, still keep playing. They're three and five. They can still make the playoffs. It's not over.
0: It's crazy. It's not. Um, let's talk about our Dolphins and the Chargers. So, Ira, this is one where I, I came into the season saying, this Dolphins team's going to be good. They, I didn't think they're going to be world beaters, but I predicted eight and eight i got to tell you, man, they look better every week. And Brian Flores has to be getting Coach of the Year votes if the season ends right now.
1: <laughs> Definitely. And the special teams coach should be yeah. the number one. I mean, again, are, do they get... First of all, I fa- learned in fantasy, I don't get points for a block punt, which I was really? I, I was shocked when that happened. But again, they blocked the punt, and they got it on the one-yard line, and they and they were able to run it in for a touchdown. I mean, it's so easier to uh, It's almost like they start with a handicap. I mean, it's crazy how he gets his advantage. With, yep. And the defense... Defense and the, has been great. They are so great in the first... The Dolphins... In the first quarter, outscoring the opponents 80 to 31, which is, remember, under Gase, they were the worst slow starting team. They're <laughs> <laughs> just amazing. 80 to 31. And uh, you know, they were I thought, you know, I felt bad because they were they were up fourteen nothing and they were on third and one of the Chargers nine, ready to go up some more. And Tua fumbled the ball, and then I got nervous. He's tried to tackle. Remember some running down the field, and that's how you get injured. Like when your quarterback's trying oh, yeah. to tackle like a two hundred and seventy five pound linebacker, and he got underneath the tackle to make it. I'm like, Oh, don't hurt yourself that way. Um, but you know, and also they have Jason Saunders is a great field goal kicker. I mean, go. he missed one. Finally, first time I think of the year, but he had a fifty, a forty-nine, and a thirty-five. Uh, but it was like you know. But the defense, look, twenty to fourteen to start the fourth quarter. The Chargers have the ball. Xavier Howard. Oh my! I mean, every key interception. I mean, this guy must have radar on the ball. Just a great interception. And then Miami's defense held the Chargers on a fourth down on the fifty. On when they when they when they went on fourth down, the Miami defense is playing great. Their offense is playing smart, and what I liked about it was their offensive line is pretty You know, they're playing with Salvin Ahmed, who was the backup to Miles Nobody Gaskin. Nobody knew who he was two weeks ago. <laughs> I mean, they lost Miles Gaskin, they lost uh, Matt Breida. They have they're starting anybody, and Tua wasn't sacked once which is important because we understand, you know, with injuries and everything like that. And you get 85 yards rushing from a running back. That's like your 10th string running back. So that just shows the offensive. I mean, Brian Flores is doing, I mean, coach of the year. I mean, great job. And they're going to make the playoffs.
0: Um, They also did, you know, speaking about that running back situation, Jordan Howard was waived today by the (laughs) Dolphins. That was a big waste of a two-year, $9.75 million contract. So I, I was expecting the Bengals to look a little more competitive against the Steelers. You guys obviously undefeated in Pittsburgh but they've been kind of playing down the teams they let Dallas hang around for a
1: while like okay divisional matchup Joe Burrows looked pretty good I think this will be close and it really wasn't 36 to 10 and Ben uh, 300 I mean first of all there was a question whether he's going to play this week he had COVID contact and, you know, yeah. he did practice with the team Play, doing play school. I think his kids are in uh, kindergarten. He said he was helping them work out instead of doing plays. And then he <laughs> joked that like it's more complicated than kindergarten than it is his the playbook. But I don't think Mike Tom will like that. But but <laughs> look, Deontre Johnson six catches for hundred and sixteen yards, Juju nine catches, Claypool, four for fifty-six. They have Ebron, Washington Connor. This team it is the most exciting offensive team in terms of passing and catching I I've seen from ever from the Steelers. He has so many weapons. He's so smart to use it, and he, the strength that he has. I mean, his knees. I mean, he got hit. One of the plays, he got hit like he went down. I'm like Ben's not hurt. I mean, he's just he's a tough guy. He you can just see the passion, and enthusiasm, play, and the Bengal and the Steeler defense play great. I mean, T.J. Watt play I mean defensive player of the year I mean two sacks two tackles for losses um Bengals were 0 for 13 on third down and I thought Joe Burrow played well and you can see this Bengals team this is not the Bengals team of last year I like this team a lot but the Steelers are really really good and I really think it's the Steelers and the Chiefs for the for the Super Bowl like if they are one of the you know for the AFC because I this is I think the Steelers are for real and they and everyone keeps like they're the most underrated 9 and 0 team I think of all time <laughs> they're like oh they're going to lose four they're going to lose five it's like no the Steelers are 9 and 0 they're Most likely going to go fifteen and one or fourteen and two at worst, and I think they could go sixteen and zero. So I just, I mean, start accepting that the Steelers are really good.
0: So uh, I I really didn't think that we'd be sitting here in Week Ten talking about a division that has Seattle in it, that has the Rams in it, that Arizona would be leading (laughs) the NFC West, but they are. And I got to tell you, it was a bizarre ending to a game, extremely exciting. I, I. Kyler Murray kind of threw one up there for DeAndre Hopkins. If you haven't seen this yet, one of the most amazing Hail Marys we've ever seen. Maybe a little lucky, but a a big win last second over Buffalo.
1: Yeah, I feel bad for Buffalo because on one hand, they had this game won. I was sitting at a bar outside with like 10 Buffalo Bills fans, and I think by the the end of the game, they were
0: drunk. (laughs) Did they break any tables?
1: I don't think they understood what was going on. It was too confusing. (laughs) I think to understand. But, you know, they're down 25-23, and Josh Allen has an amazing 12-play 78-yard drive. I mean, it was just tremendous in terms of how they were able to score, throws it to Diggs um, and uh, for a touchdown. And that left, uh, you know, so Arizona had the ball with 34 seconds left at their own 25, which is similar because I only stayed up and watched the game last night. That's almost where the Ravens had the ball. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of these other teams have this ball. And Murray had a 14-yard pass timeout, 9-yard pass timeout. And then he threw it to Fitzgerald. The smart move. I think when you have to see this, it's like the goal is to get to the ball around the 42 to 50. Because you know nope, even the strongest quarterbacks can't throw it the entire way. But when Aaron Rodgers had his win against the Cardinals, he got it to the 52. Mm-hmm. Like you have to get it to there. You can't have one of these lateral plays. It just doesn't work. But then he got the ball to the 43 and he went out of bounds. But you know one of the key but no one's talking about? I've listened to the breakdowns. Buffalo called timeout. And because the Arizona, Fitzgerald ran out of bounds. And I thought that was ridiculous. Like, why would Buffalo call a timeout? Because I think that set Arizona up for a play. Sometimes on defense, you don't want to call a timeout. And then the play was... Like I say, showed the designer. Like Fitzgerald was coming across the middle, but then they put Hopkins. But again, he's the only person <laughs> in the end zone, and he jumps so high, and it's just, and it was the perfect pass. And where Murray throws the ball, he was able to avoid the sack, run, give himself more times for Hopkins to get down. But he throws like Aaron Rodgers does, like almost like a basketball three pointer, where the ball just comes yeah. just, like straight down. <laughs> because the key thing, it has to be a ball that's like dropping, goes up to the apex, and just drops right down. And Hopkins, perfect pass, perfect catch. And then the question is, like you know, what the Bills were doing, like defense but really it was a great play but I think that you know he's flushed out to the wrong side through the ball and it was it was like one of those wins if you're a Bills fan you're just devastated about how this happened because you thought that Josh Allen they finally got the you know had that great ending like there
0: so let's go back to Thursday night and I've been saying on the show that you know the Bears they were such a fake five and one five and two team and I've been saying that about the Colts and I just really haven't bought into this I thought the Titans would, would would beat them handily, and what do you
1: know? The Colts looked really good, and the Titans looked really ineffective. The Titans looked good in the first half. I think that again we're talking about this punting, which is a problem because in the special teams you can see they it, it, the teams with COVID probably don't have time to practice. Like they're they're very careful on what you know the limits they're practicing. But the start of the second half, Tennessee had a nine yard punt, nine yards. Uh, Indy, Indianapolis scored a touchdown. Tennessee then run. Three plays and had a punt block for a touchdown. And then Tennessee missed a field goal. Indy got the ball back and scored another touchdown. So they ran eight plays. And scored three touchdowns so suddenly they're down 17 13 they're up 34 17 and really the game is over it's just you know you can't mess up on the special teams like that and that was just those two punts were were terrible but the tennessee started the year five and zero, and like the bears are similar to that now they've lost three out of four games The seattle like some of these teams that started the year out well at that five and zero, it's like you thought they they're rolling they're great they're fantastic tneo derrick henry and then they're they've lost three out of four
0: So, uh, Tampa Bay, after getting just absolutely shellacked, maybe the worst game of Tom Brady's career last week versus the Saints, bounced back really hard in this NFC South matchup versus Carolina. Well,
1: I had this game on while the Masters. Probably a lot of people missed this, but I had this game on, like, my computer. I was watching the Masters on the TV. And again, oh, my gosh, the commentators are crazy. Like, after one terrible game against New Orleans, it's like, the Buccaneers are terrible. Tom Brady's too old. The whole thing doesn't work. Yeah, and not blow it real, up. <laughs> realizing that Mike Evans was coming back from injury, couldn't even. Chris Godwin was coming back from injury, and Antonio Brown had been with the team for a week, so or less than a week. And then they come, and, and Antonio Brown, I, he looks fantastic. Like he's he's as quick as ever. Godwin from is is tremendous, and Mike Evans is just a great. I mean, they are what they, I thought they were. And then it leaves Gronk open with two catches for 51 yards and a touchdown and Cameron break. The other tight end had a touchdown, but when Godwin catches six times and, uh, and Evans catches six times and Turner around seven times, just perfect. And then Ronald Jones, they're all worried about the wide receivers and Ronald Jones runs for 98 yard touchdown run, yeah. <laughs> which it comes up the middle and they're like, Oh, how they know? Well, because you can't cover every single person on a field when they're all superstars. And then the defense came on in the second half and play great. They knocked Bridgewater out of the game. Um, but uh, you know Tampa dominated 30 to 13 on first downs. They had 545 yards against 187 for Carolina. And Tampa is great and Brady's great and this team is great and I just think that look, they're seven and three. Um, they're one game back behind New Orleans, but New Orleans has the tiebreaker. But now with Drew Brees getting hurt, I think Tampa, this gives Tampa a chance to, to have home field. That one bye, you know, that's the, everyone's fighting. I wish there would have been two byes, but there's only that one bye. And I think Tampa has a good shot to get that.
0: And how interesting it'll be that uh, Jameis Winston will be the one leading <laughs> the yes. Saints as they try to not lose a division to his former team uh, in Tampa Bay. So I don't know who, uh, if someone picked Baltimore to lose to New England last night, They must have a crystal ball because they didn't think that was going to be the case at all. And what do you know? It was an ugly game, weather-wise, everything but New England beat Baltimore. And more questions about Lamar Jackson.
1: Last year, I had one of the greatest sports days of all time. I saw the Steelers play the Colts. So we saw there, and the Steelers won the Colts. And then we drove. I drove the whole way. Uh, to see Baltimore, New England. So yeah. I saw two games on the same day on, you know, one side of the state on one side of whatever. And New England in that game, they went, they were eight and zero. They were going to Baltimore, and they ended up losing thirty seven to twenty. And after that, then they lost three of their next seven games. Lost the to Tennessee. That game just deflated everything, and then really hastened to Tom Brady leaving the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, this was like the, and that game was the beginning of the end of the Patriots. And so isn't it ironic that coming to this game when Baltimore is like still struggling, like they're leaking some oil and new England comes in there and, uh, um, and, and plays, you know, it was like they're getting their injured players back. Uh, but they, you know, New England had, was three and five, but they lost to Seattle, Denver, and Buffalo. Like on the last play of the game, their loss was to Kansas City. Uh, everyone was putting Cam Newton in the retirement home. But I'm like, wait, you had COVID. They were out. They haven't practiced. Like, give the Patriots a chance to get everything back. Like, again, it's not this prisoner of the moment. Um, it was just, I mean, it was ten seven Baltimore at the end of the first half. Uh, the the backward pass from Cam to Jacoby Myers to Burkhead, that was a great play. I mean, you're seeing, starting to see that. They put him up 13-7. And then uh, at the end of the first half, Lamar Jackson throws an interception, which, again, he wasn't throwing any interceptions the first two years. Now he's just throwing interceptions every game. Um, and Damian Harris, uh, tremendous run, making up 20-10. But the Ravens went on fourth and one on their own 48. They don't get it. Uh, New England made a field goal, went up 23-10. But three times the Ravens got the ball, Uh, And most they they got on this in the fourth quarter, three times they got the ball, they're down 23 17, and the most they could get was to their own 34 yard line. And even at the end of the game, there there was like first and 10 on their own 17, and they got four yards. But it was just like one of those games where it just started to rain and pour, but just perfect playing. Ken Newton played great, smart playing, and uh, they ended up winning that game. And, and Baltimore, now there's this chance. They're 6-3. Everyone had them as that favorite. They played against Kansas. That Kansas City game was sort of that deflating game.
0: 740, it's Ira on Sports. You're listening to the True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So, Cleveland and Houston. And this game was ugly on all accounts, but there is some good news to come of it. Uh, Nick Chubb looked pretty good in his return uh, from an injured MCL. And I think he really pissed off some betters as well in the process, Ira, as Cleveland won 10 7. I
1: lost, I mean, I was like, I only missed two games all weekend, and that was one of them because Cleveland was favored by three and a half. Some of the lines had it four and a half, and if someone saw the end of the game, um, Cleveland was up 10 7. And Chubb broke through on a four, on a on the play, and he and he was wide, wide open. And he went down to the one yard line, and he just stopped and went out of bounds. And you know the smart move again, smart, smart playing. These teams like Penn State when they lost the game when yep. they drove running. It's like you see, you know, these teams like Atlanta make stupid moves. You know, so you think Cleveland would make a stupid move, but I guess. <laughs> that. But I just like what Cleveland's doing. They're telling Baker Mayfield just hand the ball off to chubb and hunt and just stay out of the way don't make any mistakes and that's what we're going to do and it's going to be windy rainy and i think it's great you know that stadium every time i've been there has been windy it's it's very it's the windiest stadium i've been in and it's just the rain you saw on tv how bad it was and when you're going to have hunt carry the ball 19 times and chubb carry the ball 19 times they both gain 100 yards the perfect recipe to win games like that. And I think that's like, you know, they have figured it out now how to play these games. And just they don't make Baker try to win it. They don't have Elbeco Jr. that wants the ball. They don't have to pass the ball a zillion times. Just play smart football. Their defense is really good and win games that way.
0: So let's go to Green Bay and Jacksonville. And that you mentioned fantasy. I actually just traded away James Robinson in my keeper league. And that might, uh, might come back to, to haunt me because this guy looks good. And I think we know Jacksonville lost. But Green Bay did not look good, and there was opportunities for Jacksonville to win. And we know the formula now to to get to Green Bay: run the ball down their throats.
1: <laughs> James Robinson was undrafted from Illinois State, and this year, and he is now a seven hundred yards rushing, two hundred thirty yards receiving. He'll be one of the top three or four players in fantasy next year drafted. Um, just to, and then they started the sixth round pick from Oregon State, Jake Luton, and they they had Green Bay on the ropes. Yeah, Green they Bay just came back and won and in Green Bay. So it was like one of those, one of those things in, in Jacksonville. Again, they play so hard. They've only won one game. Compare them to the Jets. They're the Jets at and eight or whatever. And the Jacksonville won and are like, they're like five games better than where, you know, you're look, you know, like Jacksonville looks like next year, if they were like nine and seven, I wouldn't be surprised with all these great young pieces on this team. And, uh, just a, just a game where they almost won. They're coming up close. They're, they'll start to win some of these games. It,
0: it's, um, um, it's not for lack of trying. And this is one of the, you know, they always say players don't tank. And if you watch this team, they are trying to win every single play. It just, it just don't have what it takes uh, nine times out of ten. So here's an interesting stat. Um, let's, talk about, let's talk about L.A. and Seattle. And this is a game that Seattle lost, propelling the Cardinals ahead of them. Sean McVay, uh, when he's got a three-point lead or more, uh, starting the second half, he's 31-0. That's pretty darn impressive, and uh, they looked good again against
1: uh, Russell Wilson. Again, kind of looked a little bit out of sorts for me. Yeah, I mean, they were. This is another team like Seattle and Tennessee. I mean, t- like Tennessee. They've now lost uh, they, the, to the Cardinals 37 34, Bills 44 34, and now the Rams. I mean, they were rolling along at 5 and 0. They've lost three in a row. Russell Wilson was MVP. Everybody, what is this problem with throwing these interceptions? I mean, he, this is a person who never throws interceptions, yeah. you know, except in Super Bowls. You know, <laughs> that but now he throws interceptions in the end zone. Um, and they only had three points in the second half. Uh, they, DK Metcalf was supposedly, you know, he's a great wide receiver. And Jarvis Landry for uh, um, the former Jacksonville Jaguar who plays for uh, Rams. Ramsey, yeah. Ram- I'm sorry, Ramsey said, uh, I'm going to stop him. And he and did. He did. just <laughs> totally sh- – I mean, rarely do you have in today's NFL uh, a, qu- a shutdown corner shut someone down, like Deion Sanders' life. <laughs> and that was unbelievable. Like he said, I'm going to shut him down. And he did shut him down. And that was – it was a shock and uh, – Look, I thought the Rams... Now, the Rams had a terrible loss. Their left tackle, Andrew Whitworth, 15 years a pro. He started every game in the Rams since 2017. And left tackle, he's out for the rest of the year with a torn uh, MCL on his knee. So I think that's going to hurt the Rams going forward. But Seattle... But I'm not ready to write them off. Their rushing game is non-existent. But Chris Carson is hurt, and he's coming back. And I think once Carson comes back, he was like the answer. I, I, again, it's it's not all over. The world's not coming to an end yet. But definitely losing those three games is is hurting
0: them. Uh, New Orleans and San Francisco. New Orleans did win this game against a battered San Francisco team, but. We don't know how long Drew Brees is going to be out, and that might not be good.
1: No, I mean, punctured lung, broken ribs. I mean, when you hear stuff like that, you're thinking, wow. And uh, starting Jameis Woodson, Taysom Hill, I mean, San Francisco's a joke. I mean, I can't believe they're four and six. But the point is that the Saints have the that first number one seed, the division lead, I just don't know coming through. You know, if they lose, they could lose the next three, four games. So this is good. They don't have Teddy Bridgewater like they did last year when Breeze got hurt. I mean, it's going to be difficult. And uh, so I think losing Breeze, if there's ever a team that needs their quarterback, it's New Orleans with Breeze because Winston is just not the same type of quarterback. He wants to throw the ball down the field. Breeze is more like 10 yards pass, 10 yards pass, 10 yards pass.
0: Yeah, they're they're totally different quarterbacks. But if anybody can put this together, it's Sean Payton. So I I have confidence uh, in that at least. Um, Raiders and Denver. Not, not enough people talk about Josh Jacobs. This guy is really something special.
1: Nobody talks about the Alabama running backs in the NFL. You have Mark Ingram for the for the Ravens. Harris for the uh for the for the Patriots, Jacobs for the Raiders, Kenyon Drake for the Cardinals, Derrick Henry for Tennessee. I mean they're all they have five, there's five of the leading running backs in the league all came to Alabama. And, and it's a position, you don't play in the league forever. So the point is that it's like if you're the backup running back Alabama, you better be a star in the NFL. <laughs> but Jacobs is great, and that's what the Raiders have gone have done exactly what Cleveland's doing. I mean, in the air of the passing, we're throwing and throwing and throwing, it's nice to see old school football, we're just gonna run the ball the whole time, we're gonna dominate that way. Minnesota's doing the same thing. You're seeing that, and especially in this COVID, I mean, I enjoy it because I like to see run. I, I, I like to it. see old school football where you run the ball.
0: Yeah, and then uh, Cleveland, like we talked about too, like that they're winning games with just handing the ball to their two dynamic running backs. The Giants are another team too. You know, me being a Giants fan, I w- don't want to put them on like where we say like I-, I feel like Jacksonville really plays you know their hearts out every game. I don't know if we're getting that from the Giants, but it's trending in the right direction. And Joe Judge looks like he is might be the answer here a coach nice win over the uh over the Eagles in this one.
1: It was like one of those teams where they lose to Quan Barkley and the Ferris say, says the season's over, Daniel Jones looks terrible. But again, you're learning the quarterback don't he didn't turn the ball over, no fumbles and he had the he ran the ball 50 yards for that one play up the middle. So they're playing <laughs> smart and now the Eagles everybody's on Peterson, everybody's on Wentz. The t- oh, the, Wentz
0: is not looking good
1: <laughs> right now. It's a disaster. And but the Eagles are still in first in their division at 3-5 and 1. So 6 wins is probably going to win this division. Uh, but the fact is that people are really critical of Peterson. People are really critical of their coach. But remember, he won the Super Bowl three years ago over New England. But um, so it's not. But you're almost like almost like a Brian Billick. Like, boy, people are really mad. They think, he, you know, he's going. He's doing weird things. Like he goes for two all the time. He doesn't hit the extra point. That's crazy. So everything that the Philadelphia did when they won the Super Bowl, that was so great. It's like every button's not pushing well. And then the whole idea, they let Nick Foles go, and they kept Carson Wentz, and it hasn't worked out for them.
0: So how's the uh, standing shaping up as we uh, wrap up Week 10?
1: Um, I just, you know, I think the thing is the Steelers at 9-0 and and the Chiefs at 8-1 and are, you know, are in a good position in terms of getting that bye. And, you know, it looks like there's like, you know, the, that's why the, the Dolphins have a great shot. There's like five teams going for three spots. So you, they really have a chance to get in the playoffs. And then in the uh, NFC, it's, it's really anybody's game. New Orleans is 7-2, Green Bay is at 7-2, and Arizona Rams, Seattle 6-3. and But you're looking at a situation with Tampa at 7-3 also that it's almost like you could have, five or six teams can get that first spot.
0: Uh, What are we watching this week? I know Thursday night's going to be a nice little rematch. One of the
1: best. You know, Thursday night, sometimes games are bad. bad. Arizona at Seattle. um, We have Pittsburgh at Jacksonville. I I might be going to that game. Uh, Green Bay's going to be Indianapolis. Sunday night game next week is great. Kansas City at Vegas. Going to be exciting to see that game. So this is a good schedule this week. very good schedule.
0: You've been to Jacksonville Stadium before, correct? Yes, it looks fantastic uh, on TV. I run sports, 749, True Oldies Channel. Let's go over to college and... uh, I know that you're really high on this Florida Gators team.
1: I, You know, Dan Mullen, everybody thinks is a genius, and he is truly a genius because Florida is now ranked in the top five, and they blew out Arkansas 64-28, and their only loss was to Texas A&M. And Kyle Trask was 23 for 29 for 356 yards and six touchdowns, and it's a video game for him. Mm-hmm. And he should probably be the leading candidate for the Heisman Trophy. But – They played Felipe Franks in Arkansas. And the question for Dan Mullen is, what at the beginning of the year did you start Franks over Trask? Like, it took you that long in the middle of the season for Franks to get hurt to realize that that Kyle Trask is this great quarterback. Like, Kyle Trask has gone from being not drafted to be not in the NFL to being... I, you know, one
0: yeah, of the potential
1: things, Heisman candidate. The, well, Heisman candidate, maybe one of the top ten picks in the draft. Like this guy is made, earning himself every week, and it's like it's crazy. Kyle Pitts is out; has stopped, wide out, is not playing, and he's still throwing the ball great. I mean, it's just it's a total video game. His his accuracy is great. His movement in the pocket, his arm strength, everything um, hits Joe Burrow like like. I mean, it's like a quarterback's like these guys like Trask. Maybe they it, they work in a system, they bounce around, they try, and then they you know at twenty one, twenty two, they finally figured out, and then became these superstars. So. It just, Shows you don't give up on some of these quarterbacks because you know they could get a Cal Trask coming out of nowhere. But what a you know just a total domination of Arkansas. Let's
0: talk about Mississippi and uh, South Carolina.
1: Well, the Mississippi beat South Carolina fifty nine forty two, and I've been telling everyone no one's going to get fired. No one can get fired because the 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 um, college departments have no money. And Will Muschamp gets fired, <laughs> thirteen million <laughs> left on his contract, and uh, you know we've saw him. He was at Florida from two thousand eleven to two thousand fourteen. He succeeded Urban Meyer. Um, then in South Carolina for four years, uh, but just to get fired, I mean, I think it's pretty harsh to get fired in the middle of a COVID season when yeah. there's no fans there. I mean, it's just man they they Rusta really wanted him out in South Carolina. We should get Steve Taniel on to talk about that, <laughs> but they had a bad loss. I mean, their defense has been terrible, and I think it was like one of those things, but I just I couldn't believe that they fired him in the middle of the year.
0: What about Kentucky Vandy?
1: Kentucky wins uh, 38-35, and it's just one of those things where, you know, Vanderbilt's like the only team in the SEC that can't win games. But the big thing was that Bama LSU was postponed, Texas A&M, Tennessee, Georgia, Missouri, Auburn, Mississippi State, all all postponed. But they do have makeup games in their schedule, so they hopefully will be able to play these games because they were postponed. Everyone's going crazy these games are postponed. I understand, but I love the fact that people have to realize there's a lot of people in college football that are working super hard to get these games go off. They're doing all the testing. They're doing everything right. I give everybody who's trying to make this work. I give them, you know, a standing ovation. Tremendous job from the trainers to the coaches to the players, everyone. And, you know, every game there's like week there's six or seven games that are canceled, but there's another 30 that are played.
0: Um, Let's uh, go over to the ACC. And Notre Dame got uh, a little bit of a challenge out of BC, but it was really never in uh, doubt.
1: You know what? They were up twenty four sixteen at the end of um, at the end of the like near the end of the first half, and it was like I thought BC was playing in this game. I was watching this whole game on Saturday, and then they turned the ball over. The quarterback turned the ball over. Notre Dame went down and made it thirty one sixteen, and then they ended up losing it to 45-31. Notre Dame's eight and zero. Great start. You know the win over Clemson is phenomenal, but uh, Notre Dame's for real. And Ian Book is you know improved 24 for twenty seven, two hundred and eighty three yards and three touchdowns.
0: So one of the it scares me every year. When I see Virginia Tech on the schedule for Miami, I don't know what it is about this team. They just play them well and this game was pretty close <laughs> this weekend.
1: Well, you know, uh, their king is a master of these comebacks. I mean, they're they're losing, they're up 20. Virginia takes up 24-13 in the third quarter. Miami scored two touchdowns up 25-24. Um, then they had the huge interception. But again, Virginia Tech, you know, they got the ball down. They kept, they came twice, they came back and punted. It was like Miami's offense stopped, like, moving, and then Virginia Tech is trying. But at the D, they got the ball back their own four uh, with uh, with uh, 137 left. They made it to the 43, but Miami stopped them on downs. And that was a big win. I mean, Miami's defense, which is, you know, cr- get criticized all the time for giving up, they really in that fourth quarter just stopped Virginia Tech. So as a Miami Hurricane fan, you're, you're happy. Happy to see finally the defense actually. The offense did what they could to win the game, but the defense really shut down the Virginia Tech team with Hendon Hooker, their their uh, good quarterback. So that was a, I think, it's a big win. I know they dropped like two spots in the polls because they barely beat Virginia Tech, but uh, but it left them up, you know, for next week. Now Georgia Tech's at Miami. Clemson is probably going to be a thirty point favorite at Florida State. But the game I'm interested in is Liberty at NC State. Liberty <laughs> already beat Syracuse earlier. They're twenty first in the country. I'm interested to see how they play against NC State.
0: Let's go over to the Big Ten. Iowa faced off with Minnesota.
1: This is the craziest conference because Minnesota, under P.J. Fleck, was supposed to be so great. They had Tanner Morgan and Rashard Bateman, and they got blown out by Iowa. They were losing 35-0, and the issue was that Minnesota was trying to score at the end, and was calling timeouts, and it's, like, pathetic. But, but the fact that Iowa, I mean, Minnesota's 1-3, just a complete disaster from a team last year that was 9-0. and They beat Penn State. They were 9-0 and and rolling, and people were ranked, I think, second or third in the country. Um, just a shock for what happened to Minnesota this year.
0: Shocking what's going on in Michigan. Michigan as
1: well. It's the beyond beyond shocking. They were outrushed. They lost forty nine to eleven to Wisconsin at the Big House. They were down twenty eight nothing at halftime. And to think that that the deficit that's the largest halftime deficit in the, since the stadium opened in nineteen twenty seven. So the stadium opened in nineteen twenty seven. They've never been down twenty eight nothing. Crazy <laughs> at half. <laughs> they were outrushed three hundred and forty one to forty seven. Michigan was outrushed by three hundred yards and. Uh, Everyone's calling for Jim Harbaugh. Now the weird thing about Harbaugh is that he's on the last year's contract. They technically don't have to fire him. So they don't owe any money on that deal. And I think that's that's one reason why people feel that like you know, people talk about Penn State with Franklin or whatever, that you know, teams don't have thirteen million, I guess South Carolina does, but to fire someone like Harbaugh, but he is on his he will he's not owed any money if they don't resign at the end of the year.
0: Speaking of Penn State, things not going in the right direction. No, that.
1: well they were 0 four now, twenty-three and thirty to Nebraska. The game was a complete disaster. they they were down twenty four six, and uh, this game was just over. And they, I got to give them credit for, were coming back. But in the fourth quarter, they went down to the. They had a first and goal to go. twice and they weren't able to score, and uh, they pulled their quarterback, Sean Clifford. Some people had people drafted, and he was pulled. I mean, fumbling the ball, interception, just not ready to play. He was pulled at the, in the second quarter. I think he's going to be not the starting quarterback. And then when you look at a team like Indiana, who beat Michigan State twenty-four nothing, they're four uh, zero. In next, you know, this it really sets up for this next week. Indiana at Ohio State twelve noon, and then Wisconsin at Northwestern at three thirty. And Penn State and Michigan are playing. Uh, if Penn State and Michigan keep losing, this is a disaster.
0: What? Uh, uh, I was going to say, what uh, else do we have in college football before we have to move on?
1: Um, I just really think, I think the Pac-12 started playing, and I think you got to see Oregon beat Washington State, so 43-39. So Oregon's one of the teams in the Pac-12. They're only going to play a few games. Maybe they'll get in the college football playoffs. And this weekend coming up in the Big 12, Oklahoma State's at Oklahoma. That's going to be a key game for Oklahoma State. They only have one loss. If, if they somehow can get in the, the college football playoff, that's going to be the game that counts.
0: Um, okay, Aaron, let's go to the NBA. And we've got the draft coming up soon. And I I hate to be pessimistic, but I have a feeling this draft may end up like the 2013 NBA draft, where really none of these players did anything to to stick around.
1: Well, you know, I love the draft. I go to the draft. I've been to the last, like, eight or nine drafts. And I just – this draft has no excitement for a lot of reasons. A lot of these are foreign players who no one's seen or whatever. And a lot of these are – players that we haven't seen for the ncaa tournament mm-hmm. and so they're not familiar there's no, no zion williams's and lamalo LaMelo bell ball is lonzo's balls and lavar son and brother um he hasn't played in high school in two years he played in russia two years ago then last year he played in australia and played like seven eight games he's could be the he's the projected number one pick and he's he doesn't play any defense and can't shoot so that just shows you what <laughs> if that's the number one in pick, this NBA the rest yeah. of the draft. I mean, there's Anthony Edwards at Georgia. He's 6'4. Um uh, Georgia did nothing last year. He's averages 19 points a game and it was a 40% shooter and 29% from three. And he could be the second or third pick, or maybe the first pick in the draft. James Wiseman, Gold State, he's seven foot one, but he played like five games at Memphis last year that had a whole the whole problem with Penny Hardaway paying him, didn't pay him. And so he's really just a He didn't really play last year at all. And he could be one of the picks. I just think it's like one of those things where the guy like Obie Top him at Dayton. He's 6'9. He was a I call it, zero star recruit. He became great at Dayton, was some people's college uh, basketball player of the year. Go to a team like the Bulls. That'd be interesting. This guy Denny Avija from Israel could be one of the best Jewish basketball players of all time. So we're going to interest to see how he plays. But of course, I've never seen him play. Just on on tape, he looks sort of like a Prisingas to some extent. He's tall, but not not as tall as Prisingas. Um But there's you know you just don't know. I look at where the Heat are going to draft at twenty. Um, people together to get Trey Jones of Duke. You know potentially him or Theo Maladid, this guy from France. But it's I where the benefit for Miami is this is that. They, they haven't worked any of these players out. Nobody has done workouts. It's virtual workouts, like who knows what. Yeah. There's been no, you didn't have Final Four, you didn't have any of the March Madness last year. You had no other of the, of the combines, nothing. There's been no combines. There's no, been nothing for these players. I think the teams like the Heat that are smart, that have, do the great preparation, are going to benefit because I think there's going to be a bunch of these players that are going to draft it that will never play in the NBA. And these are players in the top, like, 20 that probably will never play in the NBA because they're just going to make mistakes.
0: So we had a uh, big trade go down today. Not sure if it's the right move for Phoenix, but Chris Paul's on the way.
1: <laughs> well, he's 36 years old, and he's owed $41 million and $45 million over the next two years. Um, I think it was a weird move for Phoenix. Devin Booker is their superstar of all superstars. Chris Paul, we've known him from New Orleans. I mean, I'm not going to go down to the history, but New Orleans. And then he was at the Clippers, and then he was at Houston, and then he went to Oklahoma City. But he really, this past year, was he resurrected his reputation yeah. in terms of that he played well with his team. But and that was a short season, a short little period of time. I'm really nervous to put Chris Paul into this very, very... The Phoenix is an extremely young team. I don't know if this is a smart move for them. They give up a lot of first-round picks, assets. Oklahoma City is completely redeveloping. They have now have picks. They have two first-round picks this year, three next year, three the following year. Oklahoma City is just totally rebuilding, so it's a smart move to get out of that contract. But I just don't know... If from, a, from the Phoenix perspective, this is going to be a smart move. I was happy from a Heat perspective because I heard rumors that he would come to Miami. And I'm like, don't come to Miami. <laughs> don't. And I think it's hard. Booker's is the star of the team. When Jimmy Butler came to Miami, he's a, he is the best player on the team. When Chris Paul comes to Phoenix, he's going to be the highest paid and the most famous person, but he's not going to be by far the best player on the team. I think the dynamic is a problem. Whereas Jimmy Butler could could lead by example here. I think it's be a problem for Paul in Phoenix.
0: We just got a little bit of time left, but let's talk about uh, the MB, uh, Major League Baseball. We did say we saw some. You know, it's kind of a weird trade. Meet. I think some of these awards were a little bit weird how they went.
1: Well. Freddie Freeman, who had COVID before the season started, had did not think he was going to play, ended up playing and winning the MVP this year. But again, he had 20 into 31st place votes. His numbers weren't I thought Betts' numbers were better. Like, Mookie Betts, like, what happened? You know, he got two first-place votes, and his numbers in terms of he was uh, had a 3.4 uh, uh, war compared to a 2.9 for Freeman. I thought Machado, Tastis Jr., they had the same similar. I just don't understand why the voters would—I mean, it was just a, a white, you know, a, a total clean slate in terms of 28 uh, first-place votes.
0: And then uh, what, uh, what other rewards did we see? I, I was not happy with— uh D.J. LeMay, who
1: only getting one vote in the AL. Um, yeah, Jose, like again, Jose Abreu, I again, nineteen home runs, sixty RBIs from uh, Chicago White Sox, uh, winning the MVP. I, you know, I just. It was okay. I think that one made a little bit more sense. I think DJ LeMayo for the Yankees only getting one first place vote was crazy, uh, and Jose Ramirez of Cleveland came in second. I think the National League made no sense whatsoever.
0: Let's talk about the Cy Young. How funny is it that the Dodgers have traded away two pitch, not traded away, uh, didn't re-sign two pitchers in Kenta Maeda and Hugh Jin Ryu and they're both in the Cy Young uh, in the Cy Young consideration. Well, they came and, second
1: and third. Yeah. and then Garrett Cole, who the Dodgers tried, you know, considered uh, signing, finished in fourth, but Shane Beaver won. That was a no-brainer. Shane Beaver uh, won all thirty-first place votes from Cleveland and uh, had a great year and just tremendous year. And uh, was, he know, deserved it. Totally, totally deserved that. And a lot of people felt that you know he finished one, two, three, fourth in the MVP vote. I heard a lot of comments. You know, the whole idea is can a pitcher win an MVP? This is one of those years where maybe the pitcher could have won an MVP.
0: Um, let's talk about uh, Trevor Bauer taking it down in the NL.
1: Again, he had 27 first place but Darvish, Degrom, Max. I mean, I thought these other pitchers had a chance. I, I it was. I was surprised that he. Yeah, I didn't won think it'd su- be a runaway like that. Runaway. I mean, he had 1.73 ERA, but I mean, he had five wins and four losses. I mean, again, it's one of those years where you only have like 11 or 12 starts, and you're going to give an MVP. But these are awards that matter, and you know, we talk about these things like we talked about the, the the World Series MVP. When people back look back in history, they're like, "Oh, he was an MVP." These things count, and like you know, Kobe Bryant was MVP one time.
0: Crazy. Uh, Don Mattingly of the Marlins taking down. Uh, no surprise the there yeah. at all.
1: <laughs> no surprise there. And
0: Kevin Cash as well. But, was-
1: but he was supposed to be fired because he did so poorly in the World <laughs> Series with his decision. But still, that I, think was, I think Mattingly and Cash, I mean, those were ever, no shock either way there.
0: And uh, Alex Cora heading back to uh, Boston.
1: I... You know, in 2017, he was the bench coach. He was the architect of the entire sign ceiling. The Red Sox made him manager and won the World Series. Then he was suspended, but they brought him back. So I guess everybody gets AJ Hinch, gets hired, Corey gets hired, uh, Beltran's got to get, you know, anyone who's involved except Jeff, Joe Lunau, the uh, the, <laughs> the general manager of the Astros, some team, the Pirates should hire him because they he's the only one who can get hired from this whole mess of the whole sign ceiling scandal. And he's available there, and the Pirates need something.
0: Uh, let's talk about boxing. We just uh, got a minute or so here.
1: Terrence Crawford is the best pound for pound. He fought against Kel Brock. Um, it's Crawford's 37-0, 28 knockouts. Um, it was going to be a great fight. Uh, I thought Brock, I mean, Crawford's a very good fighter in the fourth round. I mean, it, he just knocked him out. It, Crawford is so fast, so quick. Uh, it, was a, it was a good win. I liked watching it and, uh, Crawford hopefully will fight, fight Pacquiao next in the Middle East. The other welterweight boxer is Earl Spencer. It's 147 pounds. If Crawford and Spence ever fight before they get too old, it'd be a monster fight. Both are the two of the best fighters, you know, of all time in terms of welterweights. So I'd like to see them fight. Uh, coming up uh, 28th, to Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. We'll talk <laughs> about that next week. Um, and then Earl Spencer, I just talked about the week after, this is against Danny Garcia. So there's going to be some, you know, we haven't had some of these big name boxing matches, but they're starting to come up right now. What about tennis? Just real fast, but usually the year-end finals, I love going to it. When I was in New York, I thought it was always the coolest thing. They only have eight, eight of the best uh, tennis players in the world, and they, uh, they play round-robin for the first like, four, four rounds. You know, for, It's only one week, and then they have semi finals, finals. Only eight players, but Djokovic and you know, should be in the finals, and that'll be a good match in terms of the playing in England inside, best out of three matches, and it's the final until the Australian Open at the middle of January. And
0: what about auto racing?
1: Lewis Hamilton won his seventh title, tiling Michael Schumacher for the most Formula One titles of all time. And uh, there's three le- races left. He's, he won the title. So it's just truly amazing how great. The, he won by 30 seconds. I know he has the best, you know, car, but it was in Turkey. It was pouring down rain. I mean, he just knows. I wish he was my Uber driver sometime because <laughs> he's absolutely an amazing driver.
0: We are out of time, though. Uh, on behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Iron Sports.